Good, good morning again, everybody. Good to see you. And uh, now that our choir got out there, kind of filled us up a little bit. That's good. Uh, I can, you know, we our holidays. Some of our holidays we pack the place, and some of our holidays everybody goes to the beach. And so I guess this is one that I'm glad that all of you didn't go to the beach. So that's good. And I'm glad the ones that got to go to the beach. That's good too. So I don't begrudge that a bit. But uh, it's good to have you here. I want to say something and. Uh, form of announcement, first of all, that Wednesday evening we will begin the book of Revelation on Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. And uh, the way we'll do that is we'll do it chapter by chapter, but we'll have several weeks of introduction. Uh, Even if you can't come, be sure you get one of the handouts. We'll try to do a handout for each night of the introduction and then for each chapter. If We did it when I first came back. I did that, so this will be different handouts, different everything, because hopefully I'm a different person than when I came. So uh, we'll be preaching, teaching that through that book and we won't be in a hurry. So we'll be, uh, ha- have a good, a good time with that. So that's Wednesday starting this week. Uh, I was really privileged, uh, Friday to be able to go to our, uh, award ceremony for, uh, South Stokes High School. I, I know a lot of you know this, but I want to tell you this. We have some exceptional students in our, in our church. They are wonderful, wonderful folks. And I was so very proud of all the honors and awards and all the things that they took home and the scholarships. It's really great. And, you know, we're really blessed to have the principal from South Stokes High School in our church, too. And she is a great leader. Listen, we have an opportunity to to really make an impact with those young people. And uh, I think our church should be very proud of them. We're going to honor them next week. But we should be very proud of you guys. And we are very proud of y'all. Not just the ones graduating, but all of you. And, uh, I, I just want to know, uh, I want everybody to know what great, what great folks you know that. Your parents and your grandparents and your friends know that, but I want everybody to know it. I think it's great. Um, I don't preach through the book of John so that at the end of this, whenever it ends, then you can say that we've preached through almost every verse of this great book. That's not why I'm doing it. Um, I do it because uh, when you go through uh, an entire book, and and we preachers are just like you are, uh, when I when I read, I will read the passages sometimes that I like, and if I could preach through a book, I would preach through the ones that I like. John three sixteen, I love that. John chapter eleven, I love that. John fourteen, I mean, we all know those passages, and they just, I mean, they just jump off the page with an outline. Um, the passage I'm reading today is not one that you get unless you preach through a book because you would, a preacher would go through it and you would go through it because you just wouldn't stop there and read it. But this is a profoundly important passage. And it's really one of the reasons that we do preach through a book. And we don't do it all the time like this, but we're doing the book of John and, and we're trying to cover it all because there's things here that you wouldn't get. Otherwise, and when I read this, you're going to say, well, I, I haven't read that in a long time. You might read a verse or two, but you don't read it all. So um, last week we had a profoundly inspiring passage from the book of John. And this week, I, I think it's a little troubling, but it's one that we need to read. If you would turn with me to John chapter five, and we're going to start with verse 30 and read through verse 47. The words of Christ as he continues this teaching. Jesus says in verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies about me, and I know that testimony he gives about me is valid. 
You have sent messengers to John, and he has testified to the truth. I don't receive man's testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and for a time you were willing to enjoy his light. But I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works I'm doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You've not heard his voice at any time, and you haven't seen his form. You don't have his word living in you because you don't believe the one he sent. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, yet they testify about me. Are you not willing to come to me that you may have life? I do not accept glory from men, but I know you, that you have no love for God within you. I have come in my Father's name, yet you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe while accepting glory from one another? You don't seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For you believed Moses. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. And if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your words, the very words of Christ here. Touch our hearts, even though spoken to an audience and to a different time. They're also spoken to us. Lord, let these words fall where they may. Use them to teach us and train us and most of all to draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I I want you to understand that Jesus in this passage is having a discussion. Um, He is is having a discussion uh, with the Pharisees that really began over in verse 16. And, and that says, therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Jesus had performed a couple of miracles on the Sabbath day and the Pharisees in a, uh, in an effort to trick him and trap him, uh, began to, began to, uh, persecute him, give him a hard time to begin to speak vile against him, to stir up trouble against him. I, w- I want you to understand just a little bit about the Pharisees. We always give them a bad rap in the New Testament. But I want you to know that the Pharisees were Jewish teachers who spent their life studying the scripture. They, at a minimum, would memorize the Torah, the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. They, They could recite the books of the law. They could recite the Ten Commandments to you. They could recite the teachings of Moses. They could tell you the the works of poetry and the wisdom literature. They, They could tell you all of that. They knew the prophets. They understood what Isaiah had said and what Jeremiah had said and what Malachi had said. They were waiting on the Messiah. They had talked about him. They had read about him. They'd studied about him. And yet when he stood in their midst, they rejected him. It's really amazing. And so Jesus is addressing these people. And you say, Jim, why is that relevant to us? And, and I think we have to recognize that we all have a, a little bit of them in us. And, and I'm not accusing you of that. I'm saying I do. Sometimes we read the Bible and we think that we have it or we understand it or we have a superior position in the Bible or we have an advantage over other people. And we read the Bible with the idea that this issue of sin pertains to you, but not to me. And that was really what the Pharisees did. They, they looked at everybody else and thought they were the problem. 
But themselves, they were so proud of what they did. They were proud of what they knew, proud of what they had learned, proud of how much more they knew than other people. And their pride kept them from finding Christ. So Jesus talks about them in a pretty strong language. And this really introduces the conflict that he would have throughout the book of John. This whole passage, if you wanted to get a little perspective, this passage is the resume and the references of Jesus. It's He's telling us his resume. He's telling us his qualifications. And I'm going to list some of them for you. He says that he only does what the Father does. He said he only does things the way the Father does them. He doesn't create a new way. He watches the Father and he does what the Father does and how he does it. He says, so the Father has power over life and death, so does the Son. So he says that he has power over life and death. He tells us that the Father has given him all judgment. So all the judgment has been given to Christ. That's a biblical truth that runs in the New Testament. And when you we study the book of Revelation, when we study the judgments at the end of time, we find Christ as the judge. He's the one that will adjudicate the human civilization and all of mankind. Uh, he has given the gift of eternal life to the Son. He has given to the Son... Eternal life. And and so much so that Jesus says that anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment. And has passed from life, from, from death to life. So Christ has the power of, of eternal life. There, there's no other way. There's no other solution. There's no other avenue for eternal life. There's no... There's no earned way. The, the only way is through Christ. And Jesus was very careful to tell us that I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except by me. That's what he said. He has the power of life and death. That's one of his qualifications. We know, and this is one of the truths we talked about last week, that in the last days that his voice will call everyone out of their graves. He'll call believers out of their graves to eternal life. And he'll call non-believers out of their graves to eternal judgment. And so... We know his voice has the power over death. And I just love the idea that one day his, his voice will empty the graves. That's such a reality in our life. We, we're, we're confronted with death all the time. We barely go a few weeks in our own fellowship without losing someone we love. And so we have a promise from Christ that he's defeated death. And one day his voice will defeat death once and for all. So that's his resume. That's who Jesus says he is. He said that's his qualification. He and the Father are one. They do things together. But then Jesus gives us four witnesses to his own work. Because in that day, uh, it was important to have a testimony, to have a witness, to say, I'll vouch for this person. He'll, he'll say what, he'll say who I am and speak for me. If you, if you have a resume, you list your qualifications and your education, your experience, and at the bottom of it, you list your references. These are people that you can go to and they'll speak well of you. They always told me that when I first started learning about resumes, they said, be sure you ask your references so they'll give you a good recommendation. You know, uh, sometimes somebody says, would you give me a recommendation? (laughs) Yeah, I'll give you one. You probably don't want it, but I'll give you one. So when you ask for somebody's recommendation, Ask for a good recommendation. Jesus said, these are people that will speak to what I do. This, you, you can, you can be assured of this. 
This is evidence to the Pharisees and to the people of that day. In church, it's, it's evidence for us. It's something that we need as well. You, you need to be prepared for this as well. So, so we're going to look at his references. But first, I want to look a, a minute at verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. I, I want you to recognize that Jesus' relationship with the Father is that he follows precisely what the Father does. Christ is not out there creating his own agenda. He, he didn't, he didn't come up with his own plan. You know, probably if he came up with his own plan, it wouldn't have included the cross. He, he and God were together. And he started the passage off. He, he said, I assure you in verse 19, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son also does. Do, do you see that perfect relationship between God and the father? That's the relationship that you and I need to strive for. You know, we start getting in trouble when you and I start doing things on our own. Lucifer was an archangel, and the book of Isaiah tells us that he wanted glory himself. He he wanted to be like God. He wanted to have his own kingdom, and he wanted to have people worship him. And, and of course, he was expelled from heaven, and we know that was the beginning of Satan. And so his original sin is that he wanted to do things his way. That's the first thing a toddler will tell you is they want to do things their way. And all little toddlers have their own way of saying that, of expressing their independence and their authority. I want to have it my way. I want to do it the way I want to. And that's that's the sinful nature of mankind. And so you and I, we we need to do well to listen exactly to what Jesus says. I can do nothing on my own. You, you and I, we should study the Bible and read the Bible and apply the scriptures to our life to the point that we see, I can't do this stuff on my own. I, I can't preach on my own. I can't pastor a church on my own. I can't teach a Sunday school class on my own. I can't talk to somebody having trouble on my own. I can't do that by myself. That's not something I'm qualified to do. But the Father can instruct me and teach me. You and I, we need to learn to be dependent on the Father instead of on ourselves. The way of the world, the way of our culture, is to be independent. To do it your way. To do what feels good. To do what you want to do. To do what makes you happy. To do what you have earned and what you deserve. But the Bible says, do it God's way. I was reading in my Sunday school class today... As man's sin evolves, uh, so does man's wickedness. And Paul, in chapter 1 of Romans, is painting a picture of sinful mankind. And listen to what he says about it. He says in Romans 1.28, he says, And because they, that's us, people, did not think it worthwhile to have God in their knowledge, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. You see, if we put somebody else first, like ourselves or our ideas, or our impulses, or our desires, God gives us a freedom to do it. The book of Romans says that God just gave people over to what they wanted to do. In fact, he said he gave them over to do what is morally wrong. He just let them have their way. And then listen to the result of that. And because of that, they are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. They're full of envy, murder, Disputes, deceit, malice, they're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful. You get the picture. They're filled with sin in every aspect. And that's what happens 
when we take God out of the equation. And you know, when I first read this passage this week, and I said, well, I don't know that I can really talk about it. And then I realized I could speak a whole message on verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. So think that. I can do nothing on my own. But we're not going to stop there. I want you to look at the witnesses, those that testify about Jesus. Now, Jesus says that he has some valid witnesses to what he is doing. And I want you to look at those. The first one, he says, that we have John the Baptist. Look at verse 33. He talks about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was... uh his cousin, uh, who had preceded him in ministry. John was, uh, he lived in the desert. He, uh, the Bible says he ate locusts and honey. Not, doesn't sound very appetizing, but we certainly get the idea that he lived on the land. He was a tough guy dressed in fur skins and he preached ahead of Christ, calling the nation of Israel to repentance. He was preparing the way for the disciple. That's what John's role. And Jesus said that he was a testimony to him. He says, um, he says in verse 33, he says, you have sent messengers to John and he has testified to the truth. So John knew the truth about Christ and he testified that to the people that were coming. He said, I'm not the Messiah, but there's one coming after me that I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. So John was a reference, a testimony that told about Jesus. He says, uh, Jesus said, I don't receive man's testimony, but I say these things so you might be saved. Jesus wants to make sure that we hear the word of salvation, because only that way can we be saved. But then he says something that's very telling. He said, John was a burning bush and a shine, was a burning and shining lamp for a time. You were willing to enjoy his light. The people of Israel liked John as long as he preached and baptized and told them the things they wanted to hear. But when he started saying that you're sinners and you need to repent, you need to turn another way, there were people that didn't like him. And, of course, we know that Herod had John killed and had his head cut off. So some people just don't want to hear the truth. There's John the Baptist. There was the works that Jesus performed. He tells us that in verse 36. But he says, I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works the Father has given to me accomplished. These very works I'm doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. When uh, when uh, Nicodemus saw Jesus and he met, we've already talked about this, remember, uh, several weeks ago. He, uh, Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher. Nobody could perform these signs you do unless God was with him. They've seen the, turn the water to wine. That, that was something only God could do. When Jesus went to the, heal the blind man, that's something only God could do. When he, when he healed the man that was crippled at the, well, at Bethsaida, that's only something God could do. When he would stand at the tomb of Lazarus and a drastic, huge uh, revelation of God's power, Lazarus had been dead four days, was in the tomb, begun to decay, and Jesus called him out of the tomb and he walked out. The power of God was demonstrated. When Christ was raised on the third day, the power of God. These were all testimonies. To who Jesus was. Very, very important for us to see that. That God was working in him. And also we see in verses uh, 37 and 38. The, the father's word. That's that's another testimony that he had. The father who sent me has himself testified about me. You've not heard his voice at any time. And you haven't seen his form. You don't have his word living in you. He said. Because you don't believe the one he sent. Jesus said. The father himself is testimony. Testified about Jesus. When Jesus was baptized and he rose up out of the water in Matthew 3. 
They heard a voice from heaven that said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. I take delight in him, the scripture says. And then, you know, this is the part we don't ever read. The voice from heaven said, listen to him. Listen to him. It's very, very important. So God testified to who Jesus was. And we see examples of that throughout the scriptures. And finally, the scriptures testify about him. And and this is where I want to spend a little time because it says, You pour over the scriptures because you think that you have eternal life in them, yet they testify about me. Jesus said, You Pharisees, you pour over the scriptures. You you study them and study them. Do you know do you know the, the Pharisees would copy they, they had scribes who would copy scriptures and manuscripts, and they weren't allowed to write but one letter, one letter. Before they went back and looked at the source document. So, I mean, it's not like, like I would do. I would write a phrase and think of a phrase in my mind and write it down on a piece of paper. I'd get 90% of it right. But Pharisees had to do every letter. They had to go through each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. When they, when they wrote one letter, they would look back at their source document for the word. And so that their precision was very, very careful. They, they memorized the scripture. They took pride in the fact that they knew more scripture than you did. The more scripture they learned, they would wear different clothing as they moved up the ladder. I guess the more things they memorized, people could recognize them and look and say, wow, look at him. He knows a lot. And Jesus says, you guys pour over that scripture. But you missed the point. But the scriptures testify about God. I, I hope as a church, I hope as a church you know that the scriptures testify about God. This book is God's holy word. It, it's God's inspired word. It's his word given to us. In fact, we're told that God inspired the writers and instructed them through their individual personalities to, to write and record the, the books of scripture. The Bible tells us, and you know this scripture, it says that all scripture is inspired. That, that is, it's literally breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be complete for every good works. It's necessary. You, you and I have to have the scriptures. We, we have to know it. We have to apply it. We have to listen to it. But we can't. Be like the Pharisees. The Pharisees thought there was power in just learning it. They thought they had eternal life because they knew all that stuff. They thought because they could memorize things or they could recount scripture that that alone was the source of salvation. That gave them favor with God. You and I have to find Christ in the scriptures. We have to pour over the scriptures to find Christ. You know, um, the Bible is, is, is God's inspired word, but, but also... Um, it's a powerful tool. Hebrews tells us this, you know, it says the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as to divide the soul, the spirits, the joints, and the marrow. It's the judge of the ideas and the thoughts of the heart. That, that's, that's what the Bible is for us, church. That's why you need it. That's why we have to be students of the Bible. That's why you, you, from the day you're able to read until the day that you die, we need to be students of scripture. We, we need to learn to apply it. The way, the way this says it's sharper than a two-edged sword. A two-edged sword's pretty sharp. It penetrates. It goes right to the soul. It, it can divide. It can, it can give you conflict. Have you ever, have you ever read the scripture and, and you're convicted of your sin? You're, you're, this, this is wrong. I've, I've got to fix this. It can convict a church. 
it can convict people in their marriage. And you say, I, I have to do this differently. When you read the Lord's Prayer and we say we have to forgive, we can't do things the way we, we, we have, we have to be obedient to it. It penetrates to divide the soul, the spirit, the joints, the marrow. It's the judge of our ideas and thoughts. For our students, it absolutely needs to be the judge of our culture. Because your culture is going to tell you anything goes, everything's okay. And you're going to look to this book and you say, no, there's clearly some things that aren't okay. God clearly has a different design for life than, than what our culture does. You, you get it from here. Our culture, Jesus said, the Bible is a valid testimony about himself. We have truth about Christ. We have victory in Christ. We see his end plan uh, through uh, about Christ. It's a life-changing witness. Uh, I read in my study this week about uh, a preacher, uh, uh, or no, it's about a, a scholar, uh, D.E. Rue, who wrote the Odyssey and the Iliad. You probably read that, the works of Homer. He, he translated it for the Penguin Classics. And when he finished that, the publisher went to him. Oh, by the way, he'd been a lifelong uh, agnostic, atheist. And so the publisher went to him and said, we would like for you to do the Gospels in the same way. He wasn't even a Christian. And when Rue's son heard this, he said, it's going to be really interesting to see what Father will make of the four Gospels. It'll be even more interesting to see what the Gospels make of Father. And after he translated the Gospels, he became a Christian who all his life served Christ. Because when he got into the book... And he learned about Christ. It drew him to the Father. That's what the purpose of Scripture is. But Jesus said, finally, and I want to go through this kind of quickly. I don't have a lot of time left. He said that, that, that for many people, all of this testimony is not enough. And it's not enough for a lot of people. Everybody everybody has their own ideas. Some of these same problems. If you, if you look at these, these same things exist today. He says in verse 39, he says, you pour over the Scripture because you think you have eternal life and they testify about me. And you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. Jesus said, you learn and you learn and you learn, but you don't learn the right stuff. When you study the Bible, learn about Christ. Learn about what he promises. Learn about what he's asking of you. Learn about what he does for you. Find Christ in all the scriptures. That's very, very important to do that. And and you can find false teaching all over the world. It'll be set aside when when we read about Christ. I I'll tell you, every one of us need to be diligent students of the Bible. We, we need to, the Bible needs to be something that we are in all the time. You cannot live in this life and not be a student of the Bible as a Christian. You can't do it. Dr. Harry Ironside, I, I quote him all the time. I have a book of a set of commentaries that Debbie got me. They're a treasure of commentaries found at a yard sale for 50 cents. They were throwing them out. And Harry Ironside wrote wrote these commentaries. I, I want to tell you something. He taught at Southwestern Seminary. He pastored Moody Church for 30 years. Do you know he never went to school after high school? I didn't know that. I mean, he didn't go to college, didn't go to seminary, didn't have a doctorate degree. But everybody loves Harry Ironside because he knows the Bible. Listen to what he did. By the time he was three years old, he was memorizing scripture. His mom taught him to memorize scripture. By the time he was 14, he read the Bible 14 times a year. Now, I did a lot of things when I was 14. I was going to church, but I wasn't reading the Bible 14 times a year. And one time he was at a conference when he was as an adult. And, and one of the preachers there, he, you know, I guess they were sitting up here on the platform and the 
preacher of this big fat church and Dr. Ironside were getting ready to speak. And so the preacher was talking to him and he says, he says, uh, well, um, I want to, he was talking to him about what he had read today, uh, in his devotional time. He said, Dr. Ironside, what did you read in your devotional time? He said, Harry looked over at him and kind of looked down. He said, the book of Isaiah. <laughs> See, he was a, he was a student of the Bible and he applied it to his word, to his life. And he learned the scriptures and learned about Christ. And because of that, he's taught legions of preachers and Christians about Christ. What a great work. You know, they said he literally went blind reading the Bible. Died in 1951. He poured his life into learning text. You, you gotta pour into the scriptures and learn about Jesus. Paul, uh, uh, Jesus also said in verse 41, he says, I don't accept glory from men, but I know you that you have no love for God within you. You see, God, God's very concerned about our motive. When we read the scriptures, we, we don't need to do so out of sense of duty or out of sense of obligation, but we need to develop a sense of love for God. I, I haven't always had that, I'm sorry to say, but one of the things that I've prayed about and I ask God all the time, Lord, in these words, give me a love for what you do for me. And, and it does that over time. But you gotta ask him for it and you gotta, you gotta read about it and you gotta, you, you gotta work on it. That's important to do. And then verse 43, uh, really concerns me. He says, I've come in my father's name, yet you don't accept me. If somebody else came in his own name, you'll accept him. You know, Jesus said these Pharisees, they have all these false teachers and they accept him, but, but you don't accept me. You, you know, the, the world's full of people that listen to all kinds of folks, but they don't listen to Christ. It's vital that we listen and find Christ in the scriptures. In verse 45, it says, um, it says, uh, don't think that I will accuse you to the father. Your accuser is Moses on whom you've set your hope. Jesus told the Pharisees, listen, I'm not going to be the one that that's your accuser. He, he said the, the one that's going to be your accuser is Moses himself. Because Moses spoke about Jesus in Deuteronomy 18. He says, I'll listen to what Moses said. Talking right about Jesus here. Deuteronomy 18. Go back and look at it sometime. 18, 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. So God said, I'm going to raise up. I'm going to raise up a Messiah. Who's going to speak for me. And that's what Jesus is. That's what he does. So as I wrap up today. I want to ask you. What's your goal? What, what's your purpose? What do you find in the scriptures? You know in uh, the book of Acts. There's a little, little verse right here. That I just love. The early church. Right after they founded the church at Corinth. They, they were continuing to spread out. Spread the gospel. And it says in verse 24, a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was powerful in the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. I I don't know what they're going to say about us all when we're gone, but I hope they'll say we're powerful in the scriptures. That we've poured over them and learned about Christ. That we've met him there. And that we've learned to love him and worship him and follow him and obey him. Jesus says if we love him, then we're going to obey him. Pour over the scriptures and be mighty in the scriptures. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, what a great day to do that. You can find salvation right in this book. You can find hope 
if you're hopeless in this book. You can find instructions for your life in this book. You, you can find the power to overcome temptation in this book. Whatever we need in life. Because not only has God given us his word, but he's given us his spirit to teach us and instruct us. It needs to be a vital part of our life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you indeed for your book that you've given us. I pray that today we'll be diligent hearers and doers of what you taught us and left for us. God, press your truth upon our hearts. And we thank you for Christ who died for us. Let us not turn away from the great things he's done. God, thank you for this moment we've had. Move us to serve. In Jesus' name we pray.